This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the besotted Pride of West London podcast. We've got a special here today because we're going to hark back in time a little bit. I've got an interview with someone, a very special person, and I say special because he used to play for the Bees back in the day, the day when we actually had a, a wicked little cup run going on. We're chatting to ex-Bees player and Norwich goalkeeping coach, Tony Parks. How are you doing, Tony? I'm doing very well, Billy. Thank you very much. Yeah, good to speak to you. So good, good to speak to you. It's been a very long time, isn't it? Yeah, wow. I mean, um, when you, when we spoke earlier on, and we were talking back back in like early nineties, um, before that even, I think I left Tottenham in eighty seven to sign for Brentford, eighty seven, eighty eight, I think it was. So it's a lot of water wild. under the bridge since then. There is, there is. I mean, and just to, as people that know the history about Tony, he signed. He was signed by Steve Perryman for seventy grand from Spurs. Played for Brentford for two years from nineteen eighty-eight to nineteen ninety. Left just before we actually got promoted to the division we're in now, which is Division One. And uh, and for me, you know, you were in the beginning of that that team, which was one of the, of the most sort of kind of iconic Brentford teams. The team that had people like Smiley. Andy Feely, Gary Blissett, Keith Jones, Cockrum, Andy Sinton, Kevin Godfrey. You've got Keith, uh, Keith Evans, um, Richard Cadet, Jamie Bates. You know, you're part of that team that, that grew and eventually got promoted to Division One, which is now the Championship. I mean, how much do you yeah. remember about those days? Well, I, listen, I'd kind of, um, Steve, and, uh, Steve and I had obviously gone back a long way. Um, for our Tottenham days, I'd known Steve since I was probably 12 years of age. Um, we then, we had, uh, Steve moved on to Oxford where I had a, a loan spell as well. And uh, when they were in what was then the old, um, what would now be the Premier League, which was the old uh, first division at the time. And then when he moved on to, um, when he moved on to become, I think Steve actually became player manager at first at Brentford. And, um, and I remember playing a pre-season game at Griffin Park for Tottenham, playing in goal for Tottenham. And um wasn't so long after that, I think it was the end of the following season, that Steve 
was the manager and, and he wanted me to go there. So I had obviously no hesitation um, because it was Steve Perriman, um, knew how professional he was and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it was quite an easy move for me at the time, back into playing week in, week out. So um, I, I had an instant kind of, uh, had an instant appeal to me. And if you hark back, I mean, there's a photograph, a brilliant photograph in the, the Brentford book of the 80s, big Brentford book of the 80s, which you can still get online. And we're going to bring one down for you on Saturday as well, Tone. But you check it brilliant. out. It's got all, all, these, all these players inside there from back in the day. And I'm just wondering, who did you used to hang with? Well, it was interesting at the time because I still lived uh, way across um, in East London and... Um, at that particular time, I'd been uh, I'd been a silly boy and lost my license, so I wasn't driving. So, for me, trekking in and out of work all the time was 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 quite a was quite a heavy uh, heavy duty session. So I used to get on the train at Haymilk, across to um, across to Ealing Broadway, and then um, walk either down to Griffin Park or I'd I'd get picked up by someone. Um, so, in terms of um, in terms of after hours, as it were, not too many of the lads because they were all kind of West London based and South London based. But you know, at the club, I like to think that I'd always been the type of guy. I didn't really, um, I didn't really have a one or a two sort of kind of mates. I, I like to think that I was quite popular in the dressing room and, and and got on with everyone. You know, people like Terry Evans and Keith Millen and Jamie Bates were were kind of stalwarts at the club. Um, you know, people came and went, but um, you know, I, like you say, Neil Smiley. I still keep in touch with Neil Smiley. I speak with uh, Terry Evans every now and again, who's gone on to do very well as um, as a fitness coach in in, in the rugby world. Um, Dean Oldsworth, when he eventually came to the club, was from my area, so we used to go in and out a fair bit. And um, yeah, it was uh, you know, it was just a, it was a good club. It was a good friendly club with decent supporters that kind of. I always felt that I had their back in at times, you know, um, and had a, had, had a good time at the club, really, for that couple of years. That's cool, and, and it's interesting because you mentioned quite a few of those names, and we saw quite a few of those recently at the Brentford 125th anniversary dinner. Terry Evans was there, um, Keith Millen was there, you know, quite, quite a few of the players. And I, I mean, I've seen Richard Gaudet recently as well. He came down to a game a season or two yeah. ago. So, and um, you know, players are still milling around, but I'm just wondering... Oh, absolutely. I just wonder where me. I just wonder if me invite got lost in the post. I never got one for that. So. Well, the, the carrier pigeon that they uh, that they employed that day, I think, it, 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 you know, it only had one leg didn't and, fly, one, didn't, and one wing. Didn't, didn't fly as far as Tottenham's training ground as where I was at the time. That's right. That's right. But listen, but have you got any amusing stories from back in the day at all? Ah, uh, listen. Um, I think um, you know when you, when I did stay over in, in West London, I kind of teamed up a little bit with Andy Feely and um, and Gary Blissett. We sort of kind of used to like to do the old uh, four corners, have a beer in each pub um, once a week, early in the week. Um, and I and I remember, you know, I remember Feely being. I mean, to be fair to him, he was. He was off his tree when he left his fair. Um, <laughs> great lad, good fun to be with. Um, he, I remember him being in a plaster cast one day, and we were playing pool in the back of one of the pubs, and uh, and he kind of just got fed up with his plaster cast, so he went to the bar and asked the lady if he could borrow a carving knife she had behind the bar for cutting up lemons and that, and he saw he he actually sawed it off. Um, <laughs> And him and Gary Blissett used to live uh, live on the on the flats on the corner of the stadium, 
and he went back up and got his he got his uh, he got his other shoe and sock, put it on, and we went we carried on drinking. He said he felt fine, and we came in the next day, and his ankle was the size of a melon, and um, we were me and Gary were absolutely roaring with laughter. But he, <laughs> I don't think Steve Perriman found it too too uh, he wasn't too pleased with him at the time. But that was typical Andy, you know. But we always had good fun, you know. The, the likes of Terry Evans was a massive character at the club and he was always pulling strokes and, and things like that. But, uh, yeah, you know, little things like that I remember from Andy Feely and Bliss. We used to we used to kind of have a few beers together and have a bit of a laugh, bump into maybe Stan Bowles at the, at the time and, and have a chat with him and he'd tell us a few stories. And So, there's, you know, it was, uh, like, like I say, good times, really good times. Yeah, definitely, and Bliss again. He's another one who still keeps in touch with Bees fans all the time. Based in Germany now, but he even came back for when we were at Wembley a few seasons ago. He brought a busload of uh, yeah. Germans over with him, which is quite funny. Now he's interesting character, Bliss, because uh, I um, w- w- when I got into coaching, um, I was uh, I was a national coach with the England squads, um, and we went and we played Germany um, under nineteen level. We played Germany away. And every time we flew in, we'd always have a representative that spoke good English to, to come and look after us for the, for the time of period that we was in. And we got off the plane and we'd come walking through. And there was Gary Blissett. So he was kind of, he was our, um, he, he was our, he, he was our liaison officer for the three or four days we was in Germany playing the game. So it was like really good to catch up with him. And typical of Bliss, he found, uh, he found a local hostelry after the game that night and me and him shared a few beers and he, Absolutely promised me that this that this beer that they served wasn't made with hops and you couldn't get a hangover from it. So we sat up from about nine o'clock in the evening after the game, which was an early kickoff, till about seven the next morning. And um, and he was right to be fair; we never had a hangover. But uh, it was just kind of like living like living the living the back in the day when he used to say, "Come on, let's go for a beer somewhere." So it was really nice to catch up with him and see how he was doing and he was trying to get into coaching and things like that at the time but uh, I know he kind of made a new life for himself out in Germany which is good that's excellent yeah and I mean just going back to those days we talk about Bliss I mean obviously there's there's got to be a couple of games that really stuck out in your mind when you played for Brentford during that era yeah well uh, yeah listen I think um, I think most people remember a fantastic cup run that we had up to the we got beat by Liverpool in the quarterfinals but we, we 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 kind of collected a few scalps along the way, you know, and I, I think probably at the time we 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 had a really good win at Ewood Park, and um, that 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 one stands out. Not so much the Liverpool game, I, you know. In fairness, probably more so for the supporters to go to Liverpool that day. But we got, you know, we got well beaten on the day, and um, and then ones, you know, when you get well beaten, you try and you try and forget them ones. You, you, you want to remember the good ones, and and um, Blackburn certainly was a was a good day, and it was a good cup run for us, and it, and it kind of brought the club to to a bit of prominence, if you like, living in the shadows of uh, some of the bigger clubs around London. Yeah, I mean that Blackburn game. I mean for you, you say it was fantastic for us. I mean there was three thousand fans that went up to Blackburn. I think Absolutely. that was just. Just yeah. on the cusp of their money days, I think it was. They were absolutely fan. It was a fantastic day out. It was again one of the one of our best days out as a Brentford fan because I think it was the very first yeah. time. Because in those days we were we did nothing. We did absolutely nothing. All our cup games we didn't beat anybody. Then we came to this Blackburn yeah. game and it was nil all. And then Bliss came in, bang bang, scored two quite late goals, and it was just pandemonium absolutely. in that end. Yeah. Okay. No, I remember the game. 
and we, we, you know, it wasn't it wasn't one of them games where we were getting trounced and we were lucky to with a breakaway. We thoroughly deserved the win on that day, and uh, right the way right the way through that cup run, the games that we won to get to the to the Anfield game was, um, you know, we thoroughly deserved our day out at, uh, at Anfield. But you know, unfortunately, that's what it turned out to be a day out more than a, more than really what you want as a footballer, which is a result. Yeah, it was, and, and for Anfield again, there was I think six or seven seven thousand bees fans travelled up the motorway. Seven thousand it was that day. Seven thousand, yeah. I think they sold the allocation. It was, uh, it was fantastic. Yeah, great atmosphere, and you know, a, a time when really Liverpool were, you know, they were some team at the time. They had great players. Um, yeah, John, John Barnes, Aldridge John Barnes, and, and Steve McMahon, and. Yeah. You know John Aldridge and Ray Houghton and people like that. I think Robbler was in goal that day. You know, so that you know they they were a top team. They were one of the top teams in Europe by that point. And uh, you know it was you know obviously you know people that would expected us to get beat. But when you I think we ended up losing the game by four goals. So you know it's not you know as a professional you don't want to you don't want to lose heavily in, in any game. But um, I suppose no disgrace really losing to a team of that caliber. And. To this other tone as well, the thing is that what makes me laugh about that is that your mum and dad came on one of my first ever coaches that I did. They had the choice <laughs> to go with the players' coaches, but they decided to come on one of my coaches, which was a bit mayhem at the time, wasn't it? Yeah, well, my mum and dad had always, ever since I was a kid, um, had always supported, supported me really and gone most places. You know, I remember... Um, I remember making my debut as a 17-year-old um, away at West Ham um, in a Tottenham game, and um, there's certainly no love lost between the supporters of them two teams. On a Tuesday night at Upton Park, is uh, um, you know it can be, and at the time in the bad old days of the crowd violence and stuff like that. And I got my mum and dad two tickets, and um, my mum decides to start shouting and screaming while she's in around all the West Ham supporters to. You know who her son is, and don't go near him, and doing things that mums do, and nearly got my dad a right hander. Um, so she got told that she was she'd have to behave if she wanted to come again. But I remember that I remember that year because they they absolutely loved those days. They loved those days jumping on the coach and going up, and it was uh, it was all part of it for them. You know, being involved and. Um, and, and just going to support their son, but every you know every team in Brentford was no exception. Every team I went for, they genuinely liked the football club that I played for as well. And I think my mum and dad had a had a good time. They was always at the Brentford games um, watching. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, I know when they came home, they were they were really pleased and they thought it was great fun and, and they'd had a great day out. And funny this because you know you left Brentford, you moved on, we moved on, we went up to the. Division One, as it was, we got relegated. Then the ironic thing is, is a couple of years later, we hooked up with you again because Brentford formed an alliance with Falkirk, and then up pumped, yes. you know, because Richard Cadet, who used to play for Brentford, went to Falkirk. We went up there quite Absolutely. a few times. When and watched you play, all of a sudden you popped up at Falkirk, and you were just like, "Hey, Bill, what are yeah. you doing up here?" Yeah, absolutely. I had, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I think at the time Steve had left and Phil, Phil uh, Older had taken over, and uh, you know. As you do, me and Phil really just didn't, I didn't see eye to eye with him and um, probably more my fault than his. I was probably being a bit of an arse, arse at the time, you know. It's uh, typical of me at that time in my life, really. Um, and, um, and and Phil done the right thing. He brought in another goalkeeper, Graham Benstead, who came in and, and did a good job for Brentford. And 
good luck to Phil. I think, you know, getting that club out of the division that they were in up the level um, was, you know, was, was, a, was a real feather in his cap. And, um, yeah, I mean, and it was good for me. It was a complete break, a change of scenery and a change of place. And, like I say, they had, they had, they had a good squad of players and, um, they were in the they were in the Premier League when I first got there. Um, I got there kind of I think it was about three quarters of the way through the season, but they were kind of you know punching above their weight a little bit. Rangers were very strong at the time, so were Celtic in the days of Loudrup and Gascoigne and McCoist and people like that, you know. So um, they ended up um, we got relegated back to the first division. The following season we won the first division title, and at the end of that season we'd got to the Scottish B and Q Cup final, which I think is the game that I eventually hooked up with you again at, where we played. I think we played Motherwell in the final and beat them three 0 So that season was was particularly successful for us at Falkirk. We'd, we'd, we'd won our own little double, if you like, in terms of the championship first division up there and um, and the B and Q Cup. So. That was a good. That was a good time, you know, and um, it was good to catch up with you guys after a few years of not seeing anyone. That's right, and I, I mean, we went to Falkirk a lot. I mean, I loved going up to Falkirk. They were so accommodating to us. You know, Brentford fans were cut. Ah, you know, yeah. you know, yeah. any club that sells Brentford shirts down the high street, and people, you know, the directors turn up when you turn up in the pub to actually meet you. You know, this is a great place yeah. to be. And um, uh, a brilliant place to be. Yeah. You know, and I remember going to that B and Q Cup final. I remember, we went up there. We stayed in, uh, we stayed in Falkirk or maybe Edinburgh for the night. We came across and we went to Motherwell. And for, I, I can guarantee you, it was the coldest and wettest and sleetiest and most horrible day that I've ever, yeah. ever been to football to. It was absolutely freezing, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember it well. It was one of them games where you just think, is it going to go ahead? But. Uh... Nine times out of ten in Scotland, they normally did, and, and and to be fair, that wasn't out of the norm to play in them conditions. I remember playing at uh, Celtic Park one day, and it was um, I was getting a flight home afterwards back into England, and and I was on the flight with Stuart, um, uh, who went up from West Ham to Celtic, and um, well, he was playing for Celtic, I was playing for Falkirk, and I remember leaving the stadium, getting on the aeroplane. And getting back to London, getting to my house, and having to put my feet in a bowl of hot water because they were still freezing cold from the game. There was like two inches of snow on the pitch. It was, it was Baltic. It was a really cold place, um, you know. And um, but but that day was, I mean, you know, when you're winning, you don't feel the cold anyway. So it was a, it was a, it was a good game for us. We we played well that day, and um, like I say, we ended up winning our own sort of kind of special little double with a good group of players. That's great. And also the funny thing is that we used to always go up there to go and see Richard Gaudet. And we probably went up there about four or five, about seven or eight times. And every time Richie was never playing, he was either injured or he was in the reserves or he was somewhere else. So that day for us, we were actually really pleased because he actually got to play for Falkirk that day. We saw him play for Falkirk, saw him win the cup, saw you win the cup. I think Eddie May might have been in the side as well. So you had three experts. Eddie May was in the the side. He'd been at Brentford as well. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, well, right. he was in he was in the team that day. So yeah, the Falkirk fans that we met them, who who took us into their houses and they were so wonderful and hospitable, we're still hooking up with them, and they still come down to see Brentford games. I think they must have come down maybe five or six or seven times last season. We're going to be seeing them up in Brilliant. Leeds in a couple of weeks as well, and they've told me to give a shout out to you to say that apparently you are still a massive hero in Falkirk. Hey, listen, you know, I had um, I had a particularly, and, and I would say this, um, I probably had my most um, fruitful time in Scotland um, in terms of 
um, winning winning some trophies. We won a, we won a couple of promotions, um, and I was really well received up there. And, and I remember um, about two years after I left, they had a they had uh, they had a hundred year celebration dinner, and um, they voted on their best players from the last hundred years. And um, considering I'd only played there for four seasons, I ended up, you know, I got voted their best goalkeeper of the last hundred years. And I'm told by people that that aficionados at Falkirk that that wasn't just a shoe in. It was uh, it was a genuine uh, it, it was a genuine um, accolade because that over the over the hundred years they've had, they've had a couple of really top top quality goalkeepers, Scottish internationals and things like that. So it was like, you know, and I was a real, real privilege to to to, to receive that. And and like I say, the fans were always great to me. It was almost like uh, and I lived I lived right in Falkirk as well. I didn't live on the outskirts, I didn't live outside of it. So I'd always be like in the town or if I went out for a beer it was in Falkirk. So people get you get to know people, they get to know you and uh yeah, I loved it up there. I had a I had a really good time up there. And I've got to ask you then can you remember what that Yogi Hughes song was at all? <laughs> Do you know what? I, I could never. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that I. Um, I would know the words to that one, but I, I think I roughly remember the, the song that you're singing about. But he was, you know, for them, he was there at that time. He was their hero. Him and him and Kevin McAllister, the winger that used to play for Chelsea, who was a who was a born and bred Falkirk fan. He was uh, born in the town, and so they were their two real big heroes at the time. But you know, they had some massive players come out of there. You know, David Weir, who's now your uh, first team coach at Brentford. Um, we both made our debut for Falkirk in the same game against Dundee United at home. I remember Duncan Ferguson made his debut in that game for Dundee United. Yeah. Um, you know, so so Falkirk have had, you know, they've had a sprinkling of real top players. You know, Morris Johnson played for us as well. Um, Simon Stainrod, who was was also very big at the time up in Scotland. Um, well, yeah, I've so got to ask quickly, Simon Stainrod, was it true what he did in someone's shoe? No, it was true what someone did in this shoe. Ah, so when he was manager of, um, there was a lad called Ian McCall, and um, apparently. Um, Simon Stainrod cut the. Um, so I'm told. This is um, <laughs> don't don't um, don't take this as the gospel truth. But the way I heard the story, they was at Dundee together, and um, someone cut the socks, the toes out of the socks of Ian McCall's socks um, during training. Um, he was told it was Simon Stainrod, who was the player manager of uh, Dundee at the time. So the following morning, he went in and. Um, he left him a parcel in his shoe and put his sock back in behind it. And when Simon Stainwell had a shower, put his socks on, went to put his shoes on and stepped into, um, stepped into Ian McCall's dung, weren't best pleased and sacked him. <laughs> and then Ian McCall actually then from there came to, he sacked him and cancelled his contract and he came to Falkirk. He was a, he was a, he was a gifted footballer, but, uh, yeah, he liked a practical joke, and I think that one might have just gone, uh, gone a little bit too far and backfired on him. <laughs> That's right, because he had a song as well, which went something like, you know, he's blue, he he put insane Rod Shoe, Ian McCall, Ian McCall, and the Yogi yeah. Hughes song as well yeah. is um, super, super Yogi Hughes. He's got buck teeth and size 12 shoes. He loves to win. He hates to lose. He is super Yogi Hughes. So, uh, yeah, they, they left this good sing song up there, didn't they? Indeed, no, they, they were good. They they liked they, they liked their footballers. To be fair to them, they were they were decent people. 
Yeah. So listen, just coming back to now. So ironically, 20 years later, it's almost like full circle for you. So you came back to Spurs and uh, you, you, you had a career with Spurs. You know, was that sort of slightly strange after leaving there in the 80s? Well, no, not really. Um, once my playing days are done, and, and Tottenham was quite a ways off, really. Um, I, I kind of went in, went down the coaching route, um, got myself fully qualified, um, both as an outfield coach and as a goalkeeping coach, which you have to do in this country, which was, uh, you know, it was hard work at the time, but that's what I wanted to do. And I ended up, at the time, going back in the day, 20-odd years ago, were the days when clubs used to employ goalkeeping coaches as a as a one day kind of specialist, if you like. So most of us would bob a job around clubs. I lived in um, I lived in the north of England at the time. I lived just outside of Blackpool because my son was in school at the time, so I didn't move around. So I used to go into Burnley. Um, I used to go into West Brom. Um, I used to go to Sheffield United, Crew Alexander. So I I'd, I'd do like kind of days at different clubs. As a, as a goalkeeping coach and then got a break uh, at Halifax Town went in there was my first full-time job as um, as reserve team manager goalkeeping coach I still registered as a player so I'd sit on the bench on a Saturday as well because it was attractive to the club to, to, for me to be able to do three or four things to only have to pay one wage you know so that was my break into the full-time game and I stayed there for four Four good years, really, at Halifax, a club that was financially strapped all the time and, and fighting for its life all the time down at the bottom of the second division. But it was a terrific grounded, um, you know, um, honest players, um, not much finances, um, not great facilities, and, and it gives you a real, uh, it gives you a real feel for, um, for for how the job really is and what you need to do to survive in it. So. I did that for four years, and then I was um, I was ho- offered uh, a national coach's job working for the FA. So I then did um, I then did seven years as a national coach, uh, working with all of the England squads. Um, plus, I was then by that time I was a, I'm a qualified uh, coach educator, so I would do all the courses in the summer and do the coach education courses, teaching uh, teaching coaches how to become coaches and things like that. So. Uh, I had a great seven years there, and then out of the blue, um, I got a phone call from Harry Redknapp, and I was quite settled in the job that I was doing. And I got a phone call out of the blue from Harry Redknapp asking if I'd be interested in going back to Tottenham as his goalkeeping coach. So um, I think you know, just just my my uh, my history with that club um, probably swayed it, uh, and the opportunity then to work at uh, at the highest level of the Premier League in one of the biggest clubs in the Premier League was just too good to turn down. So. That was a real um, that was a real good opportunity for me, and um, like I say, I then then did six six years under three different managers at Tottenham until last summer um, when the new manager come in, and as is often the case with managers now, they travel around with a with a with a team of people, and um, he came in and no. Um, you know, there's no grudges and there's no ill feeling between Tottenham and me and don't burn any bridges and stuff like that. But he wanted his own people in, coaches and goalkeeping coaches. So um, I, I moved on and, and I find myself now at Norwich. That's right. And that brings us to today as well, because obviously you're goalkeeping coach at Norwich now. Brentford are now in the Championship or the old First Division now, so we're we're, we're, at, the, we're at a par. We, it's almost like a circle's been drawn back again and we meet again. But Brentford, yeah. are in, you know, do you think Brentford are 
in a much better setup than the last time they were in this division? Well, I think, um, listen, uh, it's a club that I follow. Uh, you know, all the clubs that I've played for, I follow their results, their, uh, their fortunes, if you like. And um, I think while I was uh, while I was a goalkeeping coach at Tottenham, um, I think there was always opportunities to, to kind of catch up with Brentford because we used to play a behind-closed-doors early pre-season game. Um, and I think I really started to notice a difference in that football club when um, when, when Rossler took over. Um, I think he brought a level of professionalism and a style of play to the club that was good. Um, and then the following season when they came back again, I think even things like... You know um, the logistics of their of their setup. They had they had better quality um, kit. They was now wearing Adidas kit, and they looked the part. They were a professional outfit, much more professional than um, than they had been some 12 months previous. And I think he really kind of you know with what with the you know the owner of the club who'd gone in and decided he was gonna he was gonna put his money where his mouth is for a club like Brentford. Um, he got a team of professional people around him, and those professional people put a really good team on the football pitch. And it's no surprise that you know Brentford, after knocking on the door and the disappointment of the previous year, ended up getting getting promoted and um, and, and are doing excellently well in the in the division at the moment. And you mentioned Uwe Rosler, because he started the thing off at Brentford. He started off playing a particular style of football. Um, he had his team, which he had, and he built with particular players. I know that he had a moment when all of a sudden he lost one player, a goalkeeper, and he put in an emergency call to you because he needed a goalkeeper, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, it was at the time when uh, when Cardiff uh, had, had taken Simon Moore and uh, who, who played against us last week for Cardiff. Funny enough, he finds himself in the team at the moment. Um, they'd obviously had an offer that they couldn't refuse, and and I was at the time we were on a pre-season tour in um, in the Asian Trophy in uh, Hong Kong, and, and my phone rang, and it was Zero Rossler, and he was um, he was inquiring about David Button, who was no longer a Tottenham goalkeeper. He was at Charlton, and we would sold him to to Charlton. He wanted to move on um, for lack of opportunities at Tottenham, but I'd known David since he was um, since he was 14 years of age, and I'd worked with him a lot with England squads. And he was he was always a I mean he's a very tall kid anyway. I mean he was you know six four, six five, and and he was kind of he'd grown very very tall very very early, um, and he didn't have much muscle strength. So his skeletal growth was massive, but his muscle strength around that wasn't so great. So he had um, he, he had needs, and and he had to work and work really hard on building his strengths um, so that he could go out and deal with games of football really for 90 minutes in you know in, in the position that he plays in but underlying all of that he always had a really good sound um, technical ability um, he's one of the you know people talk about goalkeepers that can pass a ball I, I think David Button's up there amongst the best of them he's got a really great set of clubs in his locker he, he's, he's, he's a great distributor of a ball um, but most, more importantly, for a goalkeeper, I think he keeps keeps goal very well. And so, you know, that was that was what I told you. Like, you know, if I was your goalkeeping coach and you was asking me who would I go and get, I'd have no hesitation um, all day long. And and to be fair, they went and got him. And um, I think that was a that was a good start for David because he needed to. You know, if you have a look at his career, he's played a lot of football, but he needed a home, and he hadn't really had a home where he was settled. And I think Brentford gave him that. Has, has given him that base. Um, 
I spoke to him a couple of nights ago just to see how he was doing. I keep in touch with him. I keep in touch with most of the goalkeepers that I've worked with over the years. And he was telling me how, how much he enjoys playing in the team and how much he enjoys playing for the club. And he, you know, he feels like he's an integral part of, of what they do and how they play. You know, certainly, um, certainly watching him mature as a young man into, you know, into now what he is, he's a dad, he's got a young, he's got a young baby and things like that. It's, you know, he's, he's just a really terrific kid that he's, he's the type of kid I always used to say, if your daughter knocked on the door and, and that was her boyfriend as a dad, you'd be really happy because he's a, he's a kid that's been brought up properly. He's got good manners and he's got a good work ethic. And I've got a lot of time for him. He's a, and he's a good friend, you know, and he's a, a nice bloke and a friend of his as well. He, he gives us big props as well, so we have to give him thumbs up for that. But interesting, you talk about goalkeepers that you work with, you know, not, not the up-and-coming goalkeepers, but, the, you know, the established keepers. Who is the best keeper that you feel that you have worked with? Oh, I think Lloris, without a doubt. Um, I mean, I've been quite lucky. I've worked with... Uh, you know, and, and, and someone that took a lot of stick in the press over in, in this country when he first came, but we had a good spell of about 18 months with Aurelio Gomez. Um, he helped Tottenham into the Champions League, and we got we got to the quarterfinals where we got beat by um, where we got beat by Real Madrid. But to finish to finish as high as we did in the league every every season, fourth or fifth around the big clubs, and Tottenham is a big club, no doubt. But you know, to be up there knocking on the door and people talking about us, sort of possible championship winners and then Europe every year and, and, and he was a big part of that so he was a top goalie Carlo Cudicini again um, with his pedigree um, was was another awesome goalkeeper to work with Brad Friedel who's still kind of who's still on the cusp of things at Tottenham at the age of 42 is is unbelievable but uh, there was you know there, there came a point a couple of years ago and the chairman and sat down with myself and Andre Villas-Boas and, and asked about goalkeepers and we wanted a goalkeeper and Andre was kind of going down the road of someone else and I, I'd followed Hugo's career um, since he was probably 16 years of age having worked for the FA and playing against France I'd come up against him over the years um, seen his qualities um, and when he came into when he came into Tottenham I think he just brought, you know, he just brought something, a new level to the game. We would, we would play games and goalkeeping coaches would say to me, what do you do with him? He's so fast, he's so quick, he's this, he's that. And he's a humble guy, he's the captain of the French national team and um, it was no, no surprise to me that he fitted into the Premier League. So, you know, he's, um, you know, I've been privileged enough to work with people like Joe Hart but at a younger age and, um, I think you go, Laurie, so I would have to say, because, you know, I was quite happy to stick my neck on the line and say, I think this, this goalkeeper will be, a, will be a big, big hit in the Premier League. And I think he's gone on to prove me right. And coming on to the Brentford-Norwich situation, on Saturday, we've got a game on our hands. I mean, in principle, it should be a good game because we've got two teams who play wicked football. They play great football. You know, you've got some fantastic strikers in your team. We play this passing game. We've got our midfield that is just locked down and, and, and at times can be absolutely breathtaking. It's going to be a good game on Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, I'd like to think so. Um, I, think it was, um, I think it was a good game when we, uh, when we came to Griffin Park. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't there that, that night due to personal reasons. Um, but... Yeah, I think we we kind of started that game quite brightly, and then Brentford 
started to take control to, towards the second half of the first half and maybe had a couple of chances. And then I think second half, we were, we were just in a rich vein of form at that particular time and we were steamrolling teams. We're strong. Um, we play good football, like you say. And, um, and we ended up winning that game, but a game that was probably a lot closer than maybe the three line, three nil score line suggested. Um, but like you say, two good football teams. Um, we certainly hope that Brentford want to come and play their football tomorrow, and I'm sure they will because that gives us an opportunity to play our football. But uh, you're right, you know, we have um, there's, there's an expectation level on on our football club. Um, we're, we're the team, one of the three that got relegated from the Premier League. Um, we have a big squad, and um, you know, the expectation on Norwich City is. Um, is, is to be up there and challenging for promotion back to the Premier League. Um, you know, maybe slightly different for Brentford that they find themselves, and rightly so and deservedly so, up there and challenging, but with less of an expectation to be a Premier League football team maybe next season. Um, you know, They maybe would have gone into the Championship thinking to themselves, we need to consolidate, be strong in this league and then move on from there, but they find themselves doing a whole lot better than that. So... Um, you know, like you say, two good football teams um, doesn't always make for a great game. Um, expectation levels, like I say, sometimes get a little bit kind of um, too high, if you like. But uh, I think it will be a good football team. We've, we've certainly, over the last uh, over the last seven games or so, we've come back into form, having having had a bit of a blip earlier on in the season. And um, you know, we're obviously very confident and. Um, and you know, we'll be going all out, all guns blazing to to win the game, and I'm sure Brentford will as well. Of course, and and uh, and obviously, I mean, you're employed by Norwich, and it's your main priority to see that Norwich get promoted back to the Premier League because you've invested a lot this season. You've got players who are, you know, big contracts, big players out there, good players in your team. But I could tell Parksy, you've got a soft spot for the bees, and you was probably secretly hoping that we're going to get to the playoffs, aren't you? Hey, listen, with all due respect to Brentford, yeah, good luck to them. Um, after tomorrow um, would be, you know, where I'm at. You know, we, we, we desperately, desperately want the three points and, and that would be no different in, in the Brentford uh, hotel tonight. But, you know, I, I, I will always look out for Brentford's results. But um, tomorrow will probably be the one that, that I'm hoping that they're on the wrong end of, uh, they're on the wrong end of the result, really, because that means that my football team have, uh, have, have got three points towards our, our um end goal which is to try and get ourselves back into the Premier League if we can yeah okay well listen Tony it's been great speaking to you from the fans perspective we're just happy to be here mate you know we're just so delighted we're playing these we go to these stadiums we go to these teams we're just having good fun um, you know people you know we're Brentford and we're little old Brentford and we, we're not putting ourselves down but we, we've had so much fun in the championship so far we've never absolutely expected to, you know we've never expected to, to be this high up in the division we're not expecting sure. to go up we're just, you know, every week and we just take it as it comes and we're going to go to Norwich tomorrow. We'll drink with the Norwich fans. We'll have some good fun in the pubs beforehand. We'll sing during the game. We'll have some good drinks afterwards and then we'll go home. And that's what it's all about Brilliant. for us. You know? Without any shadow of a doubt. And I think that's always been the philosophy for Brentford supporters. So uh, it will be, uh, be good to catch a glimpse of you somewhere along the line tomorrow, mate. Listen, listen, hopefully we'll catch up for you. Like I said, you've got a big book of the 80s, the Brentford book of the 80s, which hopefully we can get down to you, have a little catch cool. up. And listen, good luck with you, mate. It's been lovely talking to you again. Thank and you, uh, I'll tell you something, I hope you guys do really well, except for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. No problem, my friend. 
Wicked Red, take it easy. See All you. the best, Billy. Cheers. Bye -bye. See you, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.